0: Hello, and welcome to the Leadership Zone with myself, Nigel Gordon-Johnson. I'm delighted that joining us today is Matthew Jackis. Uh, Matthew has spent over 20 years in the executive search recruitment, RPO, and executive talent acquisition sectors, uh, combining vast experience of managing best practice across global teams, delivering exceptional results, often in very challenging environments. He has owned, started, built up, brand and eventually sold not just one, but two executive search and selection businesses, specializing in the insurance, corporate, and public sector markets. He was the Group Managing Director of Eames Consulting, Group CEO of Dryden Human Capital, and is currently the Global Head of Executive Search and Research at AMS, the global total workforce solutions firm that you may be more familiar with as Alexander Mann Solutions.
1: Matthew, welcome. How are thank you? you? Thank you, Nigel. I'm very well, thank you, in these difficult times. But, um, yeah, I'm very well. Thank you for that uh, very uh, succinct introduction as well. <laughs> well, as I said, hopefully it's all true. I'm, I'm pretty it sure it is. I think it is. It's, it's on my LinkedIn bio, so it must be true, surely. It must
0: be true in that case, yeah. LinkedIn LinkedIn is the, the font of all uh, accuracy and knowledge, anything to do with talent acquisition. <laughs> yes. It must be. The Wikipedia and and, of, uh, of of uh, talent acquisition, exactly. The Wikipedia. I, I always still laugh at uh, at the people that say how uh, it's on Wikipedia. So you know, I, I got all my information from there. It's, this is absolute <laughs> fact. And I'm, yeah, you you might need to double check <laughs> that
1: just in case. Yes, yeah, not the most reliable research tool. Not necessarily recommended.
0: No, not at all. But is is interesting that you, as I talk about in the uh, in the introduction. About challenging environments and where you've worked, there. I mean, we've we've probably had the mother of all challenging environments in the last the last twelve months. I mean, how have you seen those changes?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is unprecedented, isn't it? A word that's used all the time and perhaps getting a bit cliched now after nearly what ten months of uh, living in various forms of of lockdown. So. I think it's um, it's really thrown that curveball into lots of organisations, and it, it caught a lot of people out, frankly. And um, uh, people have had to adapt very very quickly, both from a technology perspective and and others simply getting their workforce mobilised from working from from home, as you can see, I do now. So it's been uh, it's been tough for all sorts of businesses, and some have coped, frankly, better than others.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's it's, it's certainly thrown a, a big curveball. I don't think anyone could really have have predicted this one. I think it was uh, uh, certainly a, a a tough one to for any leader uh, to actually have a look at. I know that we you know they look at um, uh, any of these kind of contingencies, but um, a global pandemic on this uh, on this scale um, is probably unprecedented.
1: No, absolutely. And I saw something the other day on LinkedIn actually, and it said, who chose your uh, technology strategy? Was it A, your CTO or B, COVID 19? Um, and I think that um, COVID-19 has really dominated and, and determined what people's tech strategy have been. And if they were if they weren't ready, if they weren't already working in an environment that was conducive to working from home. Um, then they've really had to adapt very, very quickly.
0: Yeah, I, I completely. And I, I mean, I know when this moved uh, essentially right at the uh, at the start of the pandemic. And uh, it, it's, I, I always find it fascinating how we've adapted so quickly to all connecting virtually via Zoom or, or any of the other uh, software platforms available. Um, that how quickly that's adapted, and especially in talent acquisition, where you're, you're looking at interviewing people. Who normally traditionally would be face to face and suddenly almost overnight had to uh, adapt to to video interviewing and in a lot of circumstances going through the whole hiring process virtually being onboarded virtually and not meeting any of their team physically for a number of months um, yes a, i mean a, a massive change and and to to have people adapt to that not just from a, a leadership point of view but also from a candidate point of view
1: yes absolutely and and I was thinking this the other day, it is obviously interviewing is very much a two way process We've both, both people are buying to some extent, the candidate is obviously buying the organisation and the role and the people that, that work there. And obviously the hiring manager is buying uh, or potentially buying the, the candidate. So and a, a lot of the way the way it's been done traditionally, especially at the senior end of the market, it has been face to face. It always has been. And um, at the very least, the last piece of the process um, has been done via literally a face-to-face meeting. And um, both sides, both camps, if you like, have had to adjust to, the, to this new world. And we, when the first lockdown came, Nigel, we had clients that said, okay, we'll, we'll use Zoom or Teams or whatever it is to get to a shortlist, and then we'll wait until we can interview that shortlist um up front face face to face um or they'll wait for the, the the chosen candidate the final stage has to be face to face and we'll wait for that and um then it became obvious that um that that was going to take far too long and they've had to make hiring decisions based on having meetings like the one we're having now Nigel and it's um it's very difficult for both parties I think because if you think about the the interview process, and a lot of it, um, no matter what level you're hiring at, is based on rapport. Um, we've had some some very interesting feedback where it's just so difficult to build rapport, um, in the, especially in those first five minutes when you get there, you're normally, especially in this country, you're talking about, <laughs> you know, how did you find the office okay? How did you get here? Did you find somewhere to park? How was the tube? What's the weather like? Usual British small talk, which actually is an important part of the first five minutes, getting to know you. You get to look around the building, you get to see the type of people that work there, what they wear, how you were greeted at reception, and all of this builds a picture. Um, and now, Nigel, the only picture you get as a candidate, if you like, is um is the one that you see in front of you on the screen and, and a background, which sometimes is blurred. We had um we also had a candidate the other day whose final interview was a panel interview. Um, and because this was this was um, in Europe somewhere, they because they were allowed in the office, there were three people in the same room. Um, but because they were in the same room, they all had masks on. Wow. And so my candidate or our can- candidate um, was sitting in their house being interviewed by three people wearing masks. Um, and the feedback was, from the from the hiring manager was that um, there was no rapport (laughs) and my and our candidate was like well it was it's quite difficult you can't you can't see their face you can't see if they're smiling Um, there are all those subtle things that you pick up on that um, has made this very very difficult and um, that's why i think um, that adapting to it is is been has been very difficult
0: I mean, that, that is, uh, I mean, we laugh about it, but uh, you know, th- these, are, these are the serious challenges that, that people are having to deal with. Um, I mean, I did it towards the end of last year, a, a series uh, of interviews with body language experts around the world. And, uh, and part of that conversation was about how people are actually adapting, because of course, all we can see here is just above here. And yes. as the body language experts have talked about, an awful lot of indicators are uh, of what people are thinking, whether they're telling the truth, whether they're being dishonest uh, are from below ground is what you're doing with your feet and uh, your feet movement and, and little small micro uh, impressions that people do. And of course, by doing this, you're seeing much less. You're not seeing hand movement or anything below waist. And if you then add in a, a mask to that situation, that's that's even more challenging uh, yes but you yeah. but it's that is that is what we call uh coined the the new normal uh, as it as it is you know i know that was a, a tired phrase but i i mean do you see that there is do you anticipate that are we in a new normal um and do you see this as being a, you know the a future whereby we're going to have to accept this for quite some time to come i think that people seem to think that the nirvana of a uh of a vaccination program is going to stop that but i wonder whether the new normal is something in actual fact you know what we've got this winter for some time to come we're going to have to uh, continue to adapt rather than hoping it's going to change
1: well i think to some extent the the premise of your question means that it's actually a negative for for everyone and i think that um certainly in I think the ideal for a lot of people is a mixture of what we've got now and what we used to have. Uh, And what I mean by that, obviously, is that some companies have realized that the world hasn't collapsed just because their workforce is at home. Um, And and some industries were better than, some companies were better than that already before the pandemic. But um, from what I've read and seen and spoken to people they would love the fact that actually they could work from home occasionally, where, whereas before they could not. Um, but they also miss, like I do, like I'm sure you do, that that personal interaction mm-hmm. um, that you get only from being in in the in the office, if you like. So I think um, the new normal will will actually have. I think it has changed it forever, certainly in many sectors, and I think that. Um, there will be far more flexibility going forward in terms of allowing people to work from home and come in when it's absolutely necessary to do so or when they really want to do. And so I think it'll be certainly in some sectors uh, what AMS has always done really is work from home unless you are unless you need to be face to face with someone. Um, obviously, there are some sectors where that's impossible and it's impossible right now. But I, I am. I. Uh, I think people have been surprised that productivity is still very high, um, even when people are working from home. There are certain sectors, like my own uh, sectors in the past, the recruitment agency sector, if you like, that was very much in the more time you spend at your desk, the better you are. Um, you know, um, and and that that has been thrown out the window, not by yeah. choice, but by by COVID and yet the owners of those recruitment companies have thought hold on a minute um we're still we're still being productive and my my team can be trusted to manage their own diary without having somebody looking over their shoulder all the time so i think there are some some huge positives as well Mm -hmm. um i think there'll be there'll certainly a lot of questions that i know companies are are asking themselves at the moment which is uh do we need huge offices in the city of London or wherever it may be, in, in Barcelona, wherever it may be? They're looking at their property portfolio and thinking, hmm, do you know what we need? What we need is a hub um, and a hot desking type scenario yeah. rather than nine floors of premium office space in EC1. Um, so I, I, I genuinely think that um, th- this has changed things, not just until we've all had, had the jab but in but going forward as well.
0: And of course, COVID hasn't been the, the only, the only uh, show in town, uh, so to speak, certainly in the, in the UK and Europe, because we've had uh, uh, the wonderful Brexit uh, <laughs> that has been almost like the never ending story that's been ever since we had the, uh, the vote for it. But that obviously is now now happened i know it's not been ratified in in europe but that you know i think that will probably be just rubber stamped but how has that affected it as well i mean obviously now that we we've come through and we've actually got a deal with that um is that still looming on the horizon for 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 leaders and companies or have they now sort of parked that one and has COVID in some respects um knocked that out of the out of the park
1: well i think COVID has certainly taken the the priority because obviously the safety and the um well-being of your employees is is utmost in your thoughts every day and um, making sure that you're providing a safe environment that you're um looking after people's mental and physical health in in um uh, geographically dispersed areas is is, has been quite rightly the the uh, major priority for businesses and to some extent I think when when it was announced late last year that we had a deal, it was very much, gosh, that, that's great, let's move on. And, and then COVID has come back with this new variant this year, certainly in this country and others, and it's become the priority again. So, but that's not to say that businesses haven't had to prepare for for Brexit and are still dealing with the the changes. And I think certainly in our sector it's it's more aligned to, we have a very flexible global workforce. um, And we, we delight in, in giving people opportunities to work in different countries where they perhaps they they weren't born, they don't have citizenship. And previously we could move people around um, as part of the flexible offering that that we enjoy. So uh, we, we obviously had to upskill in terms of learning about that, but, um, COVID still dominates uh, wherever, whenever I speak to, I've got a global workforce. It, I've got people across Europe, across the UK and America, et cetera. And um, everybody's dealing with the same problem in perhaps slightly different ways, but it's still mm. very much the, the, uh, the priority for people at the moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you're right. It has sort of pushed it to one side some respects and and we've sort of got some kind of closure on on that process and i'm sure there will be some some impact in in terms of people moving around i you know we still will be able to it's just probably going to be a little bit more paperwork in in order to get people uh to do that i'm interested to sort of find out how these crises have have impacted the ability to to source uh, talent, and especially in the leadership side of things, because companies are, uh, are finding it crucial to have their great leaders still in place and to still um, navigate, help them uh, captain and navigate the, the business through this crisis. Mm-hmm. Is that making it more challenging um, for people like yourselves to try and source great talent and, and actually get them to move?
1: Yes, is the, the short answer is yes, Nigel. We, we have to make a lot more approaches than we did prior to COVID, um, because quite rightly or quite understandably, at least, people are nervous about leaving a business um, when they have tenure, where they have, <coughs> excuse me, when they have um, contractual tenure there, which gives them safety in terms of um, their redundancy, etc. And um, so we're, we are having to make um, more calls to more people in order to to get them to to move because previously you had to of course counter objections that are still valid to this day. But on top of those objections, you've got I'm not sure it's the right time to move, Nigel, to be honest. Um, so and that's at every level. Um, but there are there are businesses that have sailed through coronavirus. Um, and perhaps even, even done better this year or last year than they did previously because of it. So um, it really depends on which company you're talking to, which sector they're mm-hmm. in, um, but largely you will find that there is a, a, a degree of nervousness um, and certainly um, we have found that more, as uh, say, more approach calls are required um, and there is a tendency for more offers to be declined. Yeah,
0: and has that impacted uh, uh, the compensation at all being offered?
1: Not that I've seen, no. Um, there, there's, no there's really been no need to, um, to uh, if you're suggesting that maybe people are paying more to entice people, then of course that's on an individual company basis, but mm. it's not something that I've seen.
0: Yeah, and it and it is a it is a, going to be a challenge. And as you said, there are there are winners and losers. I mean, the the likes of uh, certainly like Jeff Bezos and uh, and Elon Musk uh, have been great winners throughout this. Uh, I'm sure they they don't see it quite that way. But obviously, the way the nature of of business certainly has. If we all had a a um, one of those magic eight balls <laughs> would have invested in in amazon and, and tesla's <laughs> chairs uh just prior to it i think we'd all done quite well but um but as you say you know there are certainly some sectors of the marketplace that are thriving i'm sort of quite interested as to uh how the uh, the companies that perhaps are finding more of a challenge how they're uh whether you've got any experience of seeing how they're trying to plan their way out of it and how they're using um Leadership and different ways to try and adapt to the market, and finding uh, a change process in their business in order to become profitable again. So I'm sure there are obviously are companies out there that are doing doing well, but it's the ones that I think that are finding the challenge, the way which which always sort of pokes my interest.
1: Yes, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we're, we're aware of the, the, the pharmaceutical, the FMCG sectors that are, that are doing well, but as you said, <clears throat> it's potentially more interesting um, to look at those that, that are struggling um, or are have been more deeply impacted by the coronavirus and, and how they are doing it. And of course, a lot of it is about quite simply managing your cost base in, t- in terms of the amount of resource that you have, depending on what sector, whether you can renegotiate rental properties or um, the amount of commercial rents that you have. Um, But it's largely been around managing workforce dexterity in terms of having that really fine balance between having enough people to make sure that you can deliver, um, not only for the level of work you've got now, but should it increase suddenly, which we've seen um, late last year and, and this year, for example. So um, certainly the role of people capital or HR, depending on um, what you call it, has been crucial in terms of uh, getting that balance right in terms of not only how many people you've got, but where they are, the types of skills that you're bringing, that you're retaining into into the company has been essential um, to make sure that you, you can get through this um and that you're in a great position um when it does pick up because obviously we all hope and believe it will pick up um and what people don't want to be doing is is as soon as that happens is to be playing catch up with everybody else Mm -hmm. so it's essential that they're they're structured correctly um in order to make hay when the sun shines again if you like, so it's, it's a fine balance. And it's um, it's been interesting watching uh, people make those difficult decisions of who to let go, who to keep, yeah. um, and effectively, what we are helping people with is, is to look at it from a skills perspective, not from a headcount perspective, not from um, a resource perspective, but from what skills you have, and regardless of uh, who that who that is, what skills do you need now and what skills will you need in six months time or nine months time or whenever your market will comes back so look at your skills base and don't get overly obsessed with headcount unless you are in a position where you simply um, need to cut back because of the, uh, the the cost of of having that that level of staff
0: And do you think that because um, there has been obviously that that moment, certainly at the beginning of it, where there was a large sector that was let go, then there was obviously different furlough schemes uh, in each of the different countries around the world um, that that had that. And then there was sort of a, a little bit of a taking people back on. And then when we had a second wave come through, which has sort of gone through a, a each different uh, geographies at different times, but essentially everyone's had that, um, where people are re-looking at, at their people again. Um, do you see that again? Is that there, is there, are there, the the green shoots of recovery of people looking to say actually, you know, we, we do now need to we've got a we've got a fairly good idea of a roadmap of where we're going to be going now, even though there's still uncertainty there. Um, maybe we should start adding different skills to our business and taking more people on.
1: Yeah, I I, I do, and I think those that have. Calendar year financial years, um, so that we're obviously at the start of a new financial year for, for many organisations. Would have would have had to budget and plan late last year for a year that was was largely going to be uncertain. But um, I think most people felt that there would be some growth in 21 compared to 2020 because we've navigated a lot of the problems, and we hope it couldn't get much worse than than it was. Um, at at its peak. And so um, a lot of business leaders that I've spoken to have factored in some growth for for, um, 2021. And therefore that growth um, is usually delivered by additional headcount and and the requirement for additional skills. Um, And I I think those companies that have um, kept people on furlough for as long as possible, hoping that they can uh, release them back in. Have done done the right thing. Those companies that have built a strong alumni base that they can tap into immediately, um, and some organisations, including uh, AMS, have have um, kept the the doors open until late on in 2021. So if we rehire somebody, they don't have to go through the whole process of vetting and um, uh, and those kind of things. So the onboarding or re-onboarding, if that, that is a word, um, can be very, very slick and very fast and very efficient. Mm. Um, so um, we were amongst those that unfortunately had to furlough some people. We've been very lucky that this year and late last year, um, new opportunities have come about where we've, we've been able to rehire some of them. So, mm. and and obviously our ex-employees, um, our alumni, for the very first um, talent pool that we reach into in fact the only talent pool we reach into unless uh, we require skills that we don't have
0: yeah which is which is really good And I think a lot of companies um, would do well to look at that that focus to to look at alumni to do that uh, another a real driving force uh, around the world has been um, the continuing look at, uh, at getting more diversity and into into their businesses um how have you seen that i mean it's that again it can be a real a real challenge i think for for organizations irrespective of whether or not we've got covid to deal with but um and especially in the in the leadership areas uh where i think there's there's a well-recognized fact that perhaps that hasn't caught up yet in the c-suite um where do you see that Is, is that do you notice that with your clients there's a there's a lot more emphasis uh, on on getting better diversity. Yes,
1: yeah, so very much so, very much so. And and this isn't um, this is dates back pre-corona. Obviously, it's it's very much been the emphasis for many businesses for five or six, seven, eight years, um, uh, where it's where it's known that um, whether it's gender diversity or attracting um, minority uh, ethnic. Uh, recruits from, from the various parts of the world. It's um, been a priority and it's public priority as in a lot of organizations, a lot of banks, for example, have actually publicly stated that by a certain date, they will have a certain percentage of either, um, as I said, female or or um, BAME background candidates on, on their boards and on their management team and on their leadership team. So once you've stated it publicly, of course, it becomes um extremely um important that you do that Um, it's obviously proven that more diverse organizations uh, are more successful Um, not only uh, whether that be from a gender perspective but also the big topic of neurodiversity which is which is a big topic on the on the boards as well so excuse me it's largely about um and we've been helping our our Global client base for many years now, Nigel. In terms of how to how to go about that, and we we are measured against various different targets, whether that be a certain percentage of long lists and short lists have to be from a diverse background, um, which require has really really made us um, think over the last few years as to how to attract those those people into organisations. So we're helping organizations with their brand, for example, which it may not be just about, um, it may not be about the role, it may be bigger than that. It may be, does our brand uh, speak to uh, female candidates, for example? Um, does our process um, allow for female candidates to uh, go through the whole process and in- enjoy that process? So there are, there is not. it's not just about the availability although clearly um, it's taken a long time for us to catch up. Um, But it's also about talent pooling, making Mm -hmm. sure that you're engaging with with people far quicker, uh, far sooner than just about one particular role, getting people engaged in in the organization and and the thought of uh, moving um it takes about three times longer to persuade a female executive to move than a male and so one has to start engaging with the female leadership community far earlier than um than when you just got a job for them
0: yeah i mean it's, it is a uh, an interesting topic to see how you can uh, get that and i i note that you you talk about that sort of uh neural diversity but I mean certainly about getting um, different perspectives and different thought and ideas into a business and and it's perhaps even more challenging in in areas where they are either traditionally heavily uh, female oriented or heavily male orientated uh, and there are a number of them out there but there are also some extremely talented people out there of, of different backgrounds that can really add incredible value to a yes. business I think we're starting to see, the evidence of that, of of where the more diverse companies are, of, of quite how they uh, are forging ahead in terms of the way that they think and the way they approach, a, a, you know, an ever adapting and changing world. Um, yes. and, and I think we, as we know, you know, the world, we're, we're both of a a certain experience that the world that we started started in in terms of coming out into the into the big bad world is a very different place to where it is now. And some would argue, you know, even a decade or so ago, you know, the pace of change is quite incredible. Yes. Um, and it's and I think that's only going to accelerate more. So, you know, having that adaptability for organizations and I think is actually critical um, for their future Uh, to see what kind of diversity they get on board to help them with those future challenges.
1: Absolutely. And people have now realized, I think, Nigel, that it's not just the right thing to do um, to make sure that that your business is diverse, both in its thinking and in the way it looks and feels. It's not just the right thing to do, although obviously it is the right thing to do. And it's not just because of the ethics behind it and because of equality. And all of those things which are so important, and it's because it's proven that the more diverse your thinking, the more diverse, therefore, your workforce is, the more successful you are likely to be. Um, so it's not only the right thing to do from that perspective, um, which, of course, it is, but it is the right thing to do with your business hat on as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that. I mean, if you look at the the things that are changing, I saw the other day. I, I think a lot of us probably don't even quite realise that that um, that in by twenty thirty, which is only what nine years away, yeah. um, we won't have be able to buy any new petrol or diesel vehicles anymore in this country. No. So, I mean, that that is a is a big thing to change, especially for. I hate to say it, people like myself that's really enjoyed <laughs> big engine cars in the past. That you know you're having to you're having to adapt and change and think. Actually, yeah, I need to I need to invest in a, an electric car, but you know, rightly so that it should do. But it's um, it shows the pace of change and how radical that change is. Because I think if you'd have asked people just five, ten years ago, that or said to them, "You're not going to be able to buy a petrol or diesel car by 2030," they'd think you were crazy. Yes, it was you know that that oh no that's just an extremist view, and it, that shows how the world is is changing and how people adapt to it. I think is is going to be critical to their uh, future profitability and success.
1: No, absolutely. I mean the pace of change driven by technology has just been astounding, and I wish I could remember all of those statistics that I that I read, but they're they're frightening in terms of the the uptake of new technology and how it's transformed the the, the landscape and. Digital um, is where it is at the moment in terms of um, recruitment, uh, th- those digital firms that are, that are doing very well throughout this pandemic. Um, and they have grown enormously quickly. Um, and uh, it's frightening when you, look at, um, when you look at some of those statistics. And people will have to, will have to ad- adapt and adopt that change yeah. mentality in order to be successful.
0: Completely. So I'd, I'd be interested to talk a little bit about about AMS, because I think that a lot of people certainly knew it as as Alexander Mann solutions. Um, yes, that change was quite the rebrand was quite, quite recent, wasn't it?
1: Last week, I believe. Oh, I that, yes. That recent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it was. It was. I mean, it's been a long time in the making, of course. Um, but um, but uh, yes, launched. Uh, launched i believe last monday um, and,
0: what was, and what sort of prompted the the rebrand i mean i know i'm sure that if if marketing and uh, and pr were there they would they would give a a, a really strong bit of it but uh, what was what was the change in it does it reflect a, a new direction for the business
1: This is, uh, as you say, where uh, where I wish I could hand you over to my marketing (laughs) colleagues, Nigel. I'm not a marketing expert. I don't want to get you into trouble with marketing. (laughs) (laughs) No, but but what I do know is that it's partly reflecting what we've been speaking about in the change. Um, Workforce dexterity is something which is at the top of many people's um, requirements at the moment and being being agile and flexible. um, And um, going out there with that message that says that we are um, we have a huge range of, of uh, talent acquisition solutions and services that isn't just about um, being the world's largest and um, most highly regarded recruitment process outsourcing firm. Um, and also, of course, actually, I mean, we are we were known we were called Alexander man Solutions, but most of our um, family, as in our, our employees and most of our customers and clients knew us as AMS anyway, mm-hmm. um, so there's some there's some uh, logic to to it, of course. But it's it, in general, I think that um, I wouldn't get into too much trouble with marketing, Nigel, to say that it uh, it, it reflects the, the new world of work. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I personally, I I know I probably would say this, but I I, I love it. I think it's very crisp and clean. And um, uh, have a look at the website if you haven't done already. It's. Um, it's uh, it's got that algorithm going on in the background, which um, shows the constant state of change in in our business.
0: And typically, what are the what are the sort of type of? I mean, for those people that don't really know about it, I mean, what's your typical client? I mean, we we sort of know what recruitment process outsourcing, and I, I I'd anticipate that a reasonable amount of people watching this today will we sort of understand what that is, but. Um, but what are the type of organizations that tend to want to go for that uh, nowadays sort of is it the very big ones are the ones we're looking to for additional value uh, smaller emerging where does that really sort of fit in
1: I think the answer a few years ago would have been those that that hire let's say more than a thousand people a year across their global workforce and, and to some extent that's still still true they outsourced their their hiring of their um, workforce to to the experts is, is is now a concept which is nearly 30 years old. So um, the majority of that was built on those organisations who felt that the it would be better to outsource their their hiring, um, especially volume hiring, as I say, a thousand or so a year or more um, to people like ourselves. But we we have adapted with the market, we've changed, and now some of our clients we consult with. We don't just produce RPOs. Of course, RPOs are a very strong part of our business. Um, But we also um, fix short-term problems uh, for people, put fires out in their talent acquisition teams. We upskill them. We enable them to do it themselves better. Um, So it's not purely about outsourcing and huge contracts, although we we have many and um, we're very grateful for those. We also have a consulting business that helps people um, do do their uh, hiring themselves, um, do it better, do it more efficiently, attract more diverse candidates, etc. Um, and as I said, we also have businesses that only require short-term help. They're going through a spike in activity. And, and so they don't they don't need a five, seven-year long deal. What they need is us to go in there, parachute in build a team very quickly for them, solve their problems um, and, and then leave them to it after six months or, or however long they need us for. So um, the, 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 the large scale RPOs, as they tend to hire around a thousand plus um, and, and in some cases, significantly more, um, but that, so that, that means a large-ish global corporation um, but we also consult with growing organizations who who I know are going to, who, who know they're going to go through some huge growth and they, they need to know what their structure should be and, and how they can put the foundations of a big business in place, even though at the moment they're currently on a growth curve. So I guess the short answer to your question, Nigel, is there isn't really a typical client because we have so many different Solutions that um, we can tailor to anybody really who is interested in talent acquisition expertise. And really
0: grown over the years because I think I I can't remember when I first first was aware of Alexander Mann. But what, you were you in the nineties, weren't they, when they first started? nineties? must have been.
1: Yes, yeah, no, it's grown it's grown uh, enormously. We've been very lucky to um, to build upon our first couple of RPO clients, um, when Rosaline first established the, the business. Um, and um, it's grown enormously in terms of our, our resources, our headcount, if you like, and our global footprint has grown enormously. Um, our client base uh, has, has thrived and grown uh, grown quickly and sustainably. Uh, we're very proud that we keep our customers as well as, as get um, opportunities with new ones. So, yeah, it's grown. Uh, it's been hugely successful. Um, and uh, the idea that Rosaline Blair, who is our chair uh, to this day, um, had all those years ago was obviously a pretty good one, to be honest, because um, the business is highly regarded and very successful. And um, we're very proud of our of our customer base.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And how how we obviously for the people that are outside of the UK and not in in lockdown, where as we're as we are talking now, we are currently all quarantined to our our houses, allowed out for an hour of, of exercise today, or uh, or uh, any kind of exception, which tends to be if you're going to the shop to go and get your your loaf of bread or something like that, you're allowed out additionally. But how it, how are you finding it? Um, <laughs> coping because what we, we've been down I mean it seems like I mean it seems like years now but it's only yeah. actually probably been <laughs> what three three weeks hasn't it but it seems a lot longer
1: yeah I mean uh, certainly February March uh last year um I I started the trend of lockdown uh slightly earlier I had a bad skiing accident in February 2020 um and was basically holed up at home anyway and then um uh lockdown came in and i feel like i've been here ever since really i don't think i've i've left uh, the cotswolds where i live um, more than once or twice in that in that year so um look I, i'm very grateful i've I, i've got a, a colleagues I, who i love dealing with and speaking to yes it would be great to see them face to face and i can't wait for that to happen but um um, I'm very conscious that uh, whinging about it when I um, when I when I've got such a fantastic bunch of colleagues and I live in the countryside, which I think helps. And um, yeah, so it, I'd feel very uncomfortable complaining about it. But boy, am I missing uh, seeing those people having a beer with my friends, um, going out to restaurants, you name it. Um, and yeah. Um, yeah, just doing business face to face occasionally would be an absolute joy, and I mean face to face as in yeah, the same room.
0: I, th- I think I think everybody's probably getting to that point. It'll be and when you see the pictures um, from other places around the world where they've uh, they've come out of it, uh, where you're actually I mean I noticed on the uh, watching some of the the cricket over in Australia uh, against India, and they actually had people in the crowd. And, and you look and think how weird it looks. And it's almost you're looking at the screen thinking you, you should be social distancing. And then we realise yeah. that that things have sort of changed over there already, albeit it's still not back to, to where it is. But but as we said before, I think there is there is certainly light at the end of the tunnel. And, and I think we're, we're all fairly confident it's not a train coming at us. So <laughs> I think we should... Uh, uh, I'll be looking forward to it. Matthew, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it's Pleasure, given us it a, a really interesting insight into uh, some of the the challenges that uh, are taking place uh, in the world of, of recruiting and leadership. Um, stay safe and, uh, and look forward to catching up with you soon.
1: And you, Nigel. Thank you very much indeed for the opportunity. Appreciate You're it.
0: You're absolutely welcome. Thank you.